This is Salt and Spine. I thought, well, then we need to do something around. It's not just about the pasta shapes. This this book should be about what pleases people, what mm. is fun to cook together, what everybody enjoys eating. So there isn't just one lasagna recipe. Yeah. There are four, I yeah. think. Uh-huh. <laughs> Welcome back to Salt and Spine, the podcast that takes you deep into the world of cookbooks and the captivating people who bring them to life. I'm Brian Hogan-Stewart, and today we have a true pasta aficionado joining us, ready to share the rich traditions and heartwarming stories behind Italy's most beloved dish. Our featured guest today is Vicky Benison, the acclaimed creator of Pasta Grannies. With a deep appreciation for the art of handmade pasta, Vicky has embarked on a culinary adventure across Italy, documenting the time-honored techniques and recipes passed down through generations of nonas, the revered Italian grandmothers, for her more than 2 million followers on YouTube and social media. Her first cookbook, Pasta Grannies, was an instant bestseller, having been translated now into six languages and earning her a James Beard Award. And now Vicky's here with her second cookbook, Pasta Grannies Comfort Food. In this book, which none other than Stanley Tucci calls heartwarming and deliciously comforting, Vicky guides us around Italy as we meet Nonna's like 91-year-old Pina, whose chestnut gnocchi with walnut pesto is comprised of ingredients growing right around her home in the Liguria region along Italy's northern coast. Or there's 99-year-old Marietta, whose tagliatelle recipe is, quote, not really a recipe at all, but a reflection of her vegetable garden, the Calabrian countryside, and the changing seasons. Vicky invites us to pull up a chair at the kitchen tables of these remarkable women as she lovingly captures their wisdom, traditions, and the joy they find in the process of making pasta by hand. Through her evocative storytelling, the stunning photography, and QR codes that take you right to videos of these nanas, we're offered a glimpse into the authentic soul of Italian cooking celebrating the skill, dedication, and love that goes into each plate of pasta. And in this latest book, it's not just pasta. Vicky also chronicles and shares recipes for pizzas, pastries, rice dishes, and more. In this episode, we'll journey alongside Vicky Benison as she shares her personal voyage of discovery, recounting the tales of these remarkable pasta grannies and the precious knowledge they carry. We'll explore the diversity of regional pasta styles and delve into the stories behind these time-honored culinary treasures. So get ready to be transported to the rolling hills of Italy as Vicky regales us with anecdotes, memories, and a deep understanding of the cultural significance of pasta and the responsibility to preserve these recipes and stories. Let's head now to Berkeley, California, where we met up with Vicky Benison while she was on book tour to talk cookbooks. Hi, Vicky. Thank you so much for joining us on Salt and Spine. Absolute pleasure. We've finally done it. I know. <laughs> so excited. Uh, we're here in Berkeley, although yes. our paths have crossed around the world. I know. Um, so I'm, I'm glad we can sit down and talk about your second Pasta Granny's cookbook, although yes. you've written more than two cookbooks, but your second Pasta Granny's cookbook. Yeah. But before we get to the books, we always like to talk a little bit more about you and learn how you got to where you are today and, okay. and this career a bit. And and we'll start really early, childhood. Ooh. And, you know, food is obviously... <laughs> instilled from an early age. So uh, I know your your father worked in agricultural development, so you spent some time traveling the world and in yes. particular lived in Kenya. Can you talk yes. about that and how, how food started to play a role in your life as a, an early, as a child? Yeah, so we, um, my brother and I grew up on a farm in Africa. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, food came from the farm. There was no such thing as a supermarket. You know, there were the markets, that kind of thing. And my dad was researching beans, you know, so okay. <laughs> there was always some, something slightly strange, maybe coming home from from work. Sure. Um, and so food was never taken for granted. Sure. Um, and my mum taught English 
at the um, local Indian school for okay. girls. So it was Muslim, so it was segregated. Okay. So grateful parents used to teach her how to make, actually it was mostly Goan um, dishes. Okay. So they were down on the coast. So sure, mum yeah. was sufficiently inspired by that, that she had her own, it was a it was a lunch club rather than a supper club. Okay. So she she was kind of busy experimenting with that. And of course that kind of fed through into what we were eating normally. So that's how we had an early start in food. Yeah. And and you also, uh, you have a strong connection to Italy, both personally and now in, in your, your work. But yes. you, you first stopped in Italy as a child, too, as uh, I think you were five years old. Yes. The first time you visited Italy, right? And yes. it, I think I read somewhere that it was an immediate sort of connection. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, Italians... Um, Italian sailors uh, taught me how to walk age two. Okay. Uh, oh, so... <laughs> age two. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, or one and a half uh, or sure. whatever uh-huh. it was. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that in, you know, I'm old enough that the, the um, normal way back from Africa mm-hmm. when I was young was actually via boat, uh-huh. not aeroplane. Okay. Um, yeah. So that's how we were docking at, in Venice. And that's um, how um, I remember my first plate of spaghetti. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was kind of love at first bite so yes so so you know again you know inspired my parents they're both cooks um so italian food they were early adopters of people like elizabeth david um mm. and and those cookery writers sure yeah um so yes it all kind of fed into the the love affair of italy and italian food yeah so big influence from an early age food your parents cooking yes. cookbook authors global yes. flavors but not your not your career initially right you you, no. you also went you went into international development yes and worked around the world yes i've had lots of different jobs and okay. careers <laughs> okay sure well one of them i know was international one of them, development. One of them, one yeah. of them the, the one that I settled on for quite a while, <laughs> a while uh, okay. was international development. Yeah. So that sort of sent me to all sorts of uh, places. I had two years in South Africa. Um, you know, I got sent off to Romania and Kazakhstan and Malaysia and, and Kenya again. Um, and so, you know, it was a great mixture. And always the first thing that I did would be go to the market and see what's available, sure. what people are buying and therefore cooking with. Sure. Um, so that was a way into the culture. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, totally. And food, totally, yeah. another through line. And I think that sort of almost directly or indirectly led to you writing a couple of travel guides and then a yes. couple of cookbooks. And so while you're working in international development, you yes. start to pursue a bit of a career as a food yes. writer and documentarian. Yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. So it's more of a compulsion to record what I was experiencing. Okay. And that through food. So I, I have never come from the sort of what I call the home economist end of cooking. Sure. Um, it's it's always about stories and, and, you know, that you're a reaction to food and the people around the food and the producers. So with international development, I was interested in tourism and how that has a role to play in international tourism, but, you know, not to get too heavy about it. Right, <laughs> right. Because, <laughs> you, know, you know, you want to have fun when you're on holiday. Yeah. Uh, so so that's how the, the travel guides came about. Okay. So focus on small producers and without actually mentioning sustainability. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> it's a bit advanced, perhaps. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and it, it wasn't an explicit career shift per se, right? You no. were sort of doing this in addition to yes. your career. So, and, you know, yeah. it's uh, what a lot of people have to do is you have a yeah. day job. Right. Um, and while you pursue your passion. Right. Um, 
And so Plastic Grannies came out, uh, came about because um, my husband and I had bought a house in Italy mm-hmm. and also getting, I, I, it was a late marriage. We didn't get married until sort of, uh, we were 46. Okay. Um, and, you know, you, you want to see each other. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and international development isn't actually great for sure. uh, seeing your partner. Yeah. Uh, you're always traveling. Yeah. Um, so the focus was kind of converting the house in Italy, um, upgrading it. It's an old school house. Okay. And staying at home, and that also provided um, the opportunity to do more of of the the food writing. Yeah. And at that point is when I um, noticed that it was only older women who were making pasta by hand. Yeah. On a daily basis, and I thought, ah, you know, we've got to do something about this. Yeah. So that's how the thought of pasta grannies happened, and it was kind of a slow process. Sure. It take it took several years to go um, viral. Right. Um, in 2018. Right. But even in yeah. those early days, it was, was it a slow process in terms of the format it would take? I think I read yes. somewhere that originally you thought it would be a book when you had this idea yes. of documenting well, pasta. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I certainly had no experience of holding a video camera. Okay. Um, so, um, but I, it's the physicality of pasta making and the rhythm um, that really required a video yeah. to be made. And, and my husband is a, a TV producer, so he encouraged me in a hands-off kind of way and sure. say, yeah, pick up that camera, get on with it. You know? sure. So so that's how it started. I mean, it was a slow process because, you know, I wasn't finding women every week. It would, you, yeah. know, you know, they would be posted when I sort of found someone had filmed them. And then because I wanted to write and I always have enjoyed writing, it took a, <laughs> you sort of think, oh dear, I've got to demonstrate an audience. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, that means I have to take it seriously. So then, <laughs> yeah. you know, you sort of, um, that means more research, more dedicated research, doing it, you know, more full time. It became a full time passion project. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, these things, it was never a kind of, this is a business I'm going to create. It was just like, wow, let's kind of get going and keep filming. And I, I was enjoying it so much. Um that that's what kept me going in the in the early years. Yeah. Yeah, really being driven by that passion. Yeah. So you have this idea, you realize you make this realization, we need to mm. chronicle these these yes. older women who are yeah. making pasta, past, mm. preserve that for future generations. How do you find the first one, the first nana? So actually the very first one was uh, the grandmother of um the supermarket manager. Okay. Alessandro. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so that's a good example and then uh Velia is a neighbor from down the road. Okay. So, I mean, it was all very local and friends and friends of friends and stuff like that. So, and and then when you have to take it seriously, you have to sort of start going further afield. And that's when um, my granny finder, um, yes. <laughs> uh, you know, comes onto the scene. Yes. Um, and so uh, that's Livia De Giovanni. Uh, she's my wing woman, if you like. Okay. <laughs> uh, she's not actually... I think it's now six years that um, she's she she's sort of been with me. Um, okay. Again, I mean, she was doing other work as well, so it was kind of one of those. It wasn't the kind of let's set this up a kind of thing. It was a thing yeah. that evolved over the years. And and Livia now is full time with me. So okay. um, and and she has a kind of uh, on her the equivalent the mobile equivalent of a Rolodex of around four hundred women. You know, they're all the families because how we find grandmothers isn't going knocking on doors and saying, uh, you know, granny, come here, yeah, you know, right. senora, per favore, you know, viene qui. Sure. Um, you just have to, um, you work through the families 
of of the women and you know they have to all think it's a great idea and and the granny has to agree as well and right. so so it's a sort of big discussion that, yeah. that um before and that in a way helps because then when we finally meet them they already have a, a familiar with Livia and you know what Pastor Granny's is and of course now it's got bigger it's much easier to persuade people sure. that it's a good idea yes yeah I can imagine mm. but in those early days was were, were, were the initial grannies the nanas excited to participate eager to always. share always I mean, for... uh, um, so this you know the women who are cautious and not certain wouldn't say yes anyway so okay. I mean they're yeah. kind of self-selecting that they're generous and are happy to have strangers in their kitchen yeah and, you know, particularly strangers who come in and go, oh, can we open the window? And, you know, can we move this table? And, right, right. <laughs> and they're usually very tolerant about that. Sure. So that's great. Sure. And, um, yeah, so that's that's how we got started with it. And then yeah. suddenly went, bam, you know. Um, yeah. 2018, it all went viral. Yes, yeah. And, you, and yeah. it started in what year? I think it's 2004. So like several, so several years of producing videos, yeah. interviewing and documenting pasta recipes, and it's in complete it, obscurity. It, sure, yeah, and, <laughs> and and it continued to be just a passion project for yes, you, as you mentioned. Yeah. You know, you weren't looking still for is, yeah, a business, yeah. And, yes, yeah. But you have this moment where it starts to go viral. Yes, and are, are there things that prompt that, or is it just kind of by happenstance? So I think it's partly because um, uh, you know social media and the, the various sort of channels and and pages are all very content hungry yeah um so there were a couple of videos that went viral um cesaria with a loragitas for example um was picked up by uh i think it was business insider or, okay. or something like that and i didn't know who business insider was so i okay. had to, i thought they were you know a rather dry magazine <laughs> uh -huh. <laughs> i didn't yeah. have any clue. yes uh, so and it's like oh that's and then a youtube um, have been very supportive of Pasta Grannies, and they were they've um, I was creator on the rise in America, okay. and and things like that. So that was that was I mean you know YouTube. I it wouldn't have been possible without being able to park videos somewhere. Yeah, and right. you know if it'd been the sort of classic route of telly or something like that, then no one would have agreed to it. Sure, <laughs> I mean sure. it's it's like. <laughs> Yeah, there's no jeopardy and there's no competition. Yeah. And, you know, right, right. <laughs> it's all just kind of warm and cuddly. <laughs> right. Yes. So <laughs> nine a... years in, you've had how many grannies now that you've worked so with? So it's about 400. About 400. Mm, okay. That's mm, the number. Yeah. Yeah. And, and mostly for the most part from, you know, small towns across Italy, yes. different regions, yes. you're really going, I guess, kind of deep into these communities across the country. Yes. So how that works is, um, you know, when you when you get into a city, things become more convenient, sure. and so you've got a pasta shop on the corner and things. So, sure. so your skills aren't quite as necessary um, once you live in Torino, um, sure. and so. And also, you. Um, so what we find is, that, you know, we were in Abruzzo a couple of weeks ago, and and we'd say, right, we we know that you know there's pasta alla mugnaia. Mm -hmm. This is kind of the circle pasta it's a kind of big hoop okay um and uh we want to film that 
And I hope I've said that right. I'm a bit okay. jet lagged, but no. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you're forgiven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll kind of check, double check that one. Yeah. Um, and um, so, you know, we'll then sort of say, okay, there's a festival or there's a pro loco in a particular. Pro loco is a, like a little promotional outfit that's attached to the town council. Sure. And so they're okay. quite often very helpful about saying, oh, yeah, we know of someone. Yeah. Um, so then we're kind of going down it kind of, village level and and finding recommendations yeah um so that's quite you know that's that's quite hardcore trying to find people yeah and um, i think it really speaks to the regionality of italian yes, cuisine completely. right because yeah. not only are you chronicling all these recipes and these yes. stories but you're really also showcasing the diversity of pasta across the country um yeah so i mean as we know italy isn't unique in its pasta making but it is unique in its diversity of shapes yeah and that's a whole mixture of reasons um and that, that is wonderful i mean yeah. it's sort of and there and i think there's one theory which is that you know there's so many different dialects and i my hypothesis is that it's like pasta making is essentially a group activity. So you need consensus around it. So everybody's okay. speaking uh, their own dialect. It's called, you know, everybody decides that this, you know, biscotti is called X, Y, and Z. Sure. And, the, and it, the village down the road got a different group of women speaking a different dialect. So it's called something different. Sure. Might be the same shape, mm -hmm. the same the same name can be given to different pasta shapes, yeah. all that kind of thing. So the sort of complexity yeah. and contradictions of pasta naming is there. <laughs> yeah, uh -huh. And there is no kind of the one way of right. doing anything. You learn that very quickly. Right. Um, and, and that's the fun of it. Yeah. Um, it's a great joy. And even if I'm filming Tagliatelle again, it's not oh, this is the same recipe. It's like there's always something different. Sure. Um, uh, um, what we're filming. So yeah. endlessly fascinating. Isn't that great? <laughs> you you write in the book too that, you know, a lot a lot of the grannies that you're working with are, you know, 80s, 90s. Yes. Their, their lives have not always been easy. This That's is a, right. a quote yeah. from the book. You say, here are ladies who remember a time before antibiotics became widely available, lived through the Second World War, had to grow or forage for food before it could be eaten, were manual laborers from an early age. Yeah. So you're really also tapping into some of these really incredible personal histories and family yes. stories. And, and that's one of the reasons for the book is sure. to sort of put those down because mm -hmm. we are limited. Um, you know, we can, we can do little snippets on the video, yeah. um, but we can't sort of have a talking head. I mean, that gets boring. So, But the written word isn't boring. Yeah. So that hence, um, you know, I think the book complements the video's and that's why there's a QR code. So it takes you straight back to the granny. Yes, yes. <laughs> when you're, uh, when exactly. you're reading it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so the first book, Pasta Grannies, does yes. a lot of that and was yes. really incredibly well received. Right. You won a James Beard Award yep. for the first book. And now the second book is mm. Pasta Grannies Comfort Cooking, yes. which is really sort of going beyond some of the standard pasta dishes because we have baked pasta dishes. There's rice and risotto. Yeah. There's pizzas and pies yes. in the book. So what, t talk about the concept of doing a, a second book to kind of build on that first one. Yes, it was it was really a response to the pandemic. Okay. Um, because Pasta Granny's viewing went up 60% okay. through the pandemic. Wow. Yeah. And people wrote, you know, dozens and dozens of people wrote into me saying how, how comforted they were sure. um, by watching um, Granny's. And, you know, so people come for the pasta but stay for the Granny's. Yeah. You know, it's that archetypal... Yeah, the sort of I would say it's a sort of a visual hug, warm hug, yeah. you know, that yeah. when you're watching them. 
and you know very moving stories about how it helped cope with um, and people coped with stress by watching it and you know recommending it to uh, you know in uh, one doc was a doctor who recommended it to all her fellow workers and okay. and stuff yeah. um yeah and the word of mouth the word of mouth yeah. thing uh-huh. um and um and I was, I mean, I was humbled by their stories. It's not what I set out to do. It's just, you know, how it happened. Um, and I thought, well, then we need to do something around. It's not just about the pasta shapes. This this book should be about what pleases people, what mm-hmm. is fun to cook together, what everybody enjoys eating. So there isn't just one lasagna recipe. Yeah. There are four, I yeah. think. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, and of course, you know, we love pizza and we love pies. There's all yeah. that. That sort of thing. So that's why they've gone in because there are there are there are wonderful stories as well that are associated with it. And also, I mean, to be honest, I mean, I cook risotto, yeah, a lot, yeah, um, and it's a wonderful uh, thing to be able to do. And so that's why we've got a few of those in there as well, yeah, because it's not the main carb. You know, pasta isn't the only carbohydrate in northern Italy. Sure, so yes. you know, lots of people. And knock up a rice dish of risotto. Exactly. And I didn't realize mm-hmm. that pasta actually means dough in Italian. Yes, so when yeah. you're talking about a pizza yeah, or something, can, you know, it's, can, it's a dough. Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah that's right. <laughs> you can stretch it a bit. Um, we talk about a few of the recipes. Mm. So I love to see some of these um, pastas that pull in really unique ingredients, or at least unique to me. So yes. like penis chestnut gnocchi with yes. the walnut pesto. Mm. It sounds yeah. so, I mean, it's fall now and it just sounds so warm and comforting yes. and hearty. Yes. And do you have favorite recipes of yours in this? I know favorite's such a loaded term, right? But um, recipes that really spoke to you in some way as you were putting together the second yes. most recent cookbook. Yes. I mean, that's why she's in there. Um, so uh, yeah. penis, uh, penis is 92 okay. and she lives in the mountains behind Geneva. Mm-hmm. She's surrounded by um, chestnut forests yeah. um, and walnut trees and she grows everything including her own potatoes. Uh-huh. So this, this is why um, her recipe isn't standard. You know, her pesto is made with walnuts sure. because she hasn't got any pine trees um, nearby sure. and so this is, makes more sense. And wheat flour is expensive and chestnut flour is free yeah right (laughs) you can can, of course we all have to go to the deli to get it but um, but for her her, so that's why you know the dough is cut with chestnut flour and you get this like sweet nuttiness in the gnocchi with the walnut pesto and it's absolutely delicious it looks incredible i I can't wait to make that one yeah i also really loved um is it marietta's tagliatelle with the the farmer's sauce oh yes marietta she's 99 99 okay and her story of you know growing up as a i think a two or three year old starting learning how to herd sheep uh, immediately as a toddler yes um and this incredible life that she's had Yes, and I think and her recipe is isn't really a recipe. Uh, it's it's actually a kind of process yeah. of gardening through the year, and it's a reflection of her auto, her vegetable yeah. garden. Um, so it's a movable feast. Um, whatever she has, she'll you, she'll put into that, um, into her uh, her sauce. Yeah. So that's why it's called a farmer's sauce. So you know, in spring it'll be you know nettles. In sure. autumn it'll be the kale. There'll be some mushrooms going in there and and stuff. And so as long as, as long as it's all very fresh and and and. 
bountiful that sure. that sauce it's it's served with tagliatelle and it's absolutely wonderful yeah i love that yeah you, you're mostly of course working with pasta grannies but occasionally i know you have a pasta grandpa grandfather yes, as I well can. i know there's a recipe uh, i'm from francesco the mustaches uh the dirty mustaches yes in here francesco, so occasionally yes. you do find a, a grandfather yes, talk about that right. yeah well um so the we love filming pasta grandpas um usually the men have come to making pasta from a different route mm. in francesco's case it it was that his uh, mum was widowed at a very young age okay. and so she had i can't remember if it was four or six boys okay but four i think it was and so um everybody was given different tasks to do sure um and and pasta making was one of them so that's how he is a very good pasta maker yeah um and so but but Basically, pasta making was something that was seen as women's women's work. Uh -huh. um, so um, there wasn't the sort of drive to put men into the kitchen. I mean, now, the, yeah, of course, everybody. So younger people are interested in, in doing it. It's a choice. It's a hobby thing, yeah. which is great. Um, um, but... As one of the grannies said, it's it's actually it's the um, young men want to learn how to make it because uh, they they think it's cool for attracting girls. Sure, <laughs> yeah, of course, so, <laughs> it always goes back to that. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, when we're talking about home cooks and people yes. who might buy your books, um, are there things, lessons, you know, for people who want to learn to make fresh pasta and to use your books at home? What, is, what do you usually say? So pick a pasta that's uh -huh. easy, that okay. inspires you. Um, so something like the gnocchi lunghi that's in, in there is, is like a hand-rolled um, spaghetti. Okay. And that's fun to make. It's easy to do. Yeah. doesn't require special equipment. And have a go. I mean, you don't have to master everything in the book. Um, you know, yeah. <laughs> and you can cheat. You can actually use a dry pasta. You can, yeah, for many of the recipes. Yeah, <laughs> yes, you say right. that at the outset. Yes, yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. So I mean, you know, we're all busy. Right. <laughs> so. Right. One tip that I that I loved that I've um, goes against what I was taught when I was. Yeah growing up and learning to cook is is boiling pastas in a small saucepan or pot instead of, you know, a large pot with a lot of boiling yes. water. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Yes. I mean, I th the key to the pasta not sticking is stirring it. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> and, and we're talking about fresh pasta. So yes. um, it is a much quicker thing. And so for, for my grandmother's, um, boiling a large pasta, pan of water is expensive mm -hmm. yeah. um also it's heavy yeah right, <laughs> so, right. um so you know they, they have a big enough pan uh to cook the pasta in and that's it yeah. uh so and it always turns out deliciously so yes. yeah yeah well going on nine years now yes. and 10 years 10 or going on nine, 10 years, uh, two cookbooks, yes. anything in terms of what's next for pasta grannies? I mean, oh, yes. Everyone, I mean, I'd love to do some more filming. Now the pandemic's over. I'd love sure. to do some more filming in America. Okay. Uh, so, you know, the big uh, Italian communities that are, that are here yeah. and in Canada. Okay. That would be fun. Of course. Yeah. Um, I would really like to get a TV series off the ground. Yeah. Um, so, so, I mean, we'll have to see about that. That's, you know, I can watch this space okay. uh, so that would be good <laughs> yes um so because that and that interests me because of the longer form storytelling aspect of sure. it yeah um and because there's so much that can be done and you know and one of the things that's unique about what i do i think is that i 
do deep dives, I kind of like really get to know grandmothers and, yeah. and I've got that kind of, I'm not going around as a tourist or, yeah. um, and, and things. So I'm doing exactly the same thing for 10 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, anyway, those, so those that's, that's another yeah. thing. And there's all sorts of um, things I want to do. Yeah. It's, it's, it's about um, sometimes ideas have to be left to bubble away in the background just to see whether they're ready to sort of move to the next level or or be abandoned so yeah yeah i don't want to commit right now <laughs> yeah sure no i i get it i love that description yeah yes. there's always something bubbling yeah and you yeah. have to see they what, what bubble, works yeah. yeah well we're a show on cookbooks so i always like to ask if there yes. are other authors or works that have been really meaningful to you in your life and your career oh my gosh so i've always oh there's lots of authors that i take inspiration from okay um hmm um, so actually, what I'm reading at the moment is Dan Saladino. Okay. Um, on my and I'd have to look up his what his latest one, which is about the the food diversity and the loss of it. Yeah. Uh, so I've always loved, for example, um, um, uh, Jane Grigson, mm -hmm. um, Elizabeth David. Yeah. All um, the obvious British ones who were introducing because that's what my mum was reading. Sure. So that's what I started reading. Sure. Um, I like Paula Wolfert's mm -hmm. um, work, um, Anissa Helou's mm -hmm. stuff. That's wonderful. I yeah. mean, her research is extraordinary. Yeah. So I really like um, people, not just women, um, that, that, but they seem to be, don't they? Um, yeah. um, of kind of scholars that right. actually go and do research, places like Diana Kennedy, for example. Right. I love, love it when, you know, women become these anthropologists and go out and sort of do that kind of research. Yeah. Yeah, great, great authors. We love yeah. all of those. Um, as a person who's producing content that is so rooted in, you know, these personal histories mm. and chronicling these um, culinary traditions, what role do you think cookbooks play in our society in helping preserve those? Obviously, we have we're in an era now where we have YouTube and videos, yes. but you're still choosing to to produce cookbooks yes. as well. What role do you think they play? Um, I think you you know it's nice to be able to sit with something, you mm -hmm. know, and a words. Um, appeal in a way that visual stuff doesn't. Yeah. And you can sit there and reflect on it and enjoy it and flick back and forward in a way that, you know, you, you might press the fast forward button, but then that's yeah. not the same thing at all. Right, so, right. Um, you know, obviously the books um, speak to the channel, um, but I think they can be read on their own as well. Yeah. And I think there's something about lovely pages, isn't there? There's something sort of, sort of the, the, tactile about opening a book for the first time and wondering the anticipation of it of course yeah, yeah. so i think maybe youtube is more like fast food <laughs> okay yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. it's like yeah, yeah. Mm, yum, yum, yum. Yeah. And then, whereas books yeah. it's more sort of you know reflective and you know, let's sp yeah. spend more time with it yeah first time i've heard that analogy i love it <laughs> it makes first sense time to I me thought of it as well, yeah. okay. <laughs> well we always end with little games so okay. um i thought we'd play a pasta themed game today okay. i first have to apologize to you and 400 grannies because it may be totally blasphemous to, okay. <laughs> to tradition yes but we have four decks in front of you here yes um flavors are herbs and spices and flavoring agents vegetables of course vegetables yes. proteins are proteins and the secret ingredients are kind of a, a an obscure mix of mm -hmm, wild mm -hmm. cards. So I thought maybe you'd draw one from each of the four. Just from the top? 
you know, I didn't shuffle beforehand, so feel free to pull from anywhere. Uh, But draw one of each type of card and then tell us if it's possible if we can turn it into a pasta dish. Cucumber. Okay. So you'd make a, from a cucumber, you'd you'd probably add that to your jardiniera or something like that. Uh And maybe you would add some of your red pepper flakes to the jardiniera. Okay. Make it a little bit spicy. Okay. Um, That's the vegetable. Now the protein... Chicken. Ah. Okay. Okay. Chicken. Yes, of course. So now chicken, actually, it can be um, served with pasta, uh-huh. but not in the way that you would think. So, um, so for example, in book number one, it's kind of minced up and put inside a ravioli. Okay. Um, yeah. Ravioli de papa, I think it was, because um, it's kind of mush inside, so it's sure. meant to be. Um, and uh, in Croatia... It's a kind of chicken casserole um, that you you serve with your fusi istriani. Okay. So so, that, but and that um, obviously isn't so with cucumber. You're, sure. You've got your. <laughs> yes. And let's have a look at the vanilla bean paste. Well, there's a dessert, perhaps. Yeah, there's a dessert. I mean, so um, you could put that into the bounette that's in book two, oh, as yeah. some chocolate, mm-hmm. um, hazelnut pudding, and that would be rather good. Yeah. I think there's a bit of vanilla in there. How does that sound? <laughs> it, it, it could work. It could be okay. It's not feeling like a cohesive meal, no, perhaps. not but, yet. I'm going to have to yeah. work my way through your entire deck, <laughs> yeah. I think, and, and sort of be very selective. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love to hear about those those chicken recipes, though. I love yeah, that so, that's where you went with um, it. Um, so that's actually in book two as well. Uh, this one, you make a chicken casserole, yeah. and I think she, um, no, I can't remember. It's a kind of flambe with brandy. So it's a slightly different. By the time you get around to the sort of Istrian area, it's kind of Croatia as well, and the, and the, the, there's different influences coming in. Sure. So, um, so yes, you can have pasta and chicken. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, well, thank you so much, Vicky, for joining us. This was it's so much fun. It's absolutely pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> and that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can find bonus content from today's show and all of our episodes on our website, saltandspine.com. If you like hearing from your favorite authors on Salt and Spine, and I hope you do, please click subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening. We also love to see your ratings on Apple Podcasts. Our show today was produced by me, Brian Hogan-Stewart, and our producer, Cleo Worster. Our kitchen correspondent is Sarah Varney, and the Salt and Spine original theme song was created by Brunch for Lunch. Salt and Spine is typically recorded at the Civic Kitchen in San Francisco's Mission District. The Civic Kitchen offers digital and in-person classes for home cooks, and you can find out more at civickitchensf.com. Thanks, as always, to Jen Nurse, Chris Bonomo, and the Civic Kitchen team, and to our friend Celia Sack at Omnivore Books. We'll be back next week with more stories behind the cookbooks you love. Thank you.